Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to two passages, okay? Same two passages as last week, Revelation chapter 21 and Exodus chapter 6, okay? So turn to Revelation 21 because we're going to get there right away. And then I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 6, okay? Save these two, the, these two uh, places in your Bibles uh, because this is, this is a, a really, really um, a, a wonderful reminder to us about God working out his promises for you. Anybody believing God for something different in 2021 than in 2020? Anybody standing on a promise saying, you know what, I believe, you know what, here's what I believe. I personally believe at the very beginning here, everybody needs to hear this. I almost feel this with prophetic unction. This is the year when you step into God's vision for your life. This is the time where you are no longer gonna sit on the sidelines and think, when will my time come? I'm just letting you know this morning in first service at 8.40 a.m., your time has come. It's arrived right now. It's not, you're not waiting. You're not thinking, I got to get more information. I got to get more. Tra-. Your time has come to enter into God's promise for your life. You don't have another time coming. You don't have another time coming. This is your hour. This is your time. And so I want you to experience what the Holy Spirit is doing in many lives. He is legitimately renewing us. And, and we've, uh, the, today I want to share with you a message called Renewed by the Promises, Part 2. If you didn't get to listen uh, to last week's message, please go online and listen to that. Uh, uh, you know, especially if you happen to attend third service last week. Third service, I did not get to preach. You know why? Because we baptized 17 people who are coming into a brand new time. 17 people experiencing new life in Christ. It was awesome. We had people driving, uh, uh, some people had been worshiping online, drove uh, over an hour to get here to be a part of the baptism service because they said God spoke to them about getting baptized and that him and his wife were going to come into a brand new season in Christ. I'm telling you, I'm excited, but we're getting renewed by God. We're getting strengthened by the Lord and you get strengthened by a promise. And when God makes a promise, he brings it to pass. And his promise is this. He will renew you. He will renew your life. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, we catch a glimpse of the ultimate renewal at the end of all days when, when the, uh, a new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. He, God, uh, Jesus is renewing the earth and the heaven. And this is, this is what he said, behold, I make all things new. He says, write these words. These words, they are true and faithful. Why does he say they're true and faithful? He is declaring this is what I do. I make all things new. How many of you say, I got some areas. I want the hands of Jesus on my life. I got some areas where I want to see the development of God's grace in my life to bring forth the new and literally turn, uh, turn the page on the old. Well, the process of renewal 
Actually, we describe the process of renewal here at Calvary. We, we, we give it four statements. It's really one statement with four ideas around it. It's called our, our vision. Now, our vision here is for every person. We have a mission that's for the whole church, but we have a vision for every person. And our vision for every person is that every person who comes to Calvary, that they would be saved, that they would be healed, that they would be empowered, and then what? Launched into their calling. That they would be saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. Now, uh, it's, it's very important that, that you understand why we make those four statements. Those four statements are connected to four promises that God gives to his people in Exodus chapter 6 that he still does today. It's in Exodus 6 that this plan, these four I will promises are revealed. Now, we talked about two of them last week. So if you want to hear about those first two in fullness, please go back and listen to that message. They, these are called the Passover promises. And they are in Exodus chapter 6. Verse 6 is where it begins. It says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Now these four statements uh, in our vision uh, they come from these four I will promises. Let me just say them to you. Uh, the first promise is this. It is, I will bring you out of your oppression. The second is, I will rescue you from your slavery and its influence. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Those are the four I will promises. Now, each of those promises are celebrated every year by the Jewish people. This is the passage which is read at every Passover Seder. A Passover Seder is basically this, the celebration of God bringing his people out of Egypt. It celebrates the night when death passed over the people of God. Why did the death pass over the people of God? Here's why. They applied the blood of the lamb to their house. It went right around the doorpost. They applied the blood, okay? And then that night, what they did at that Passover is there were four cups connected to these four promises. And as they ate the whole lamb, as they took in all that the sacrifice offered, they were fully nourished by the lamb. Are you catching the, are you catching the hint here? Are you seeing that, that as they gathered around the lamb, they remembered the work that God was doing for them and in them and through them. The first one we talked about last week, it, the names of the cups. Each cup has a name. The first cup, the first toast that's given connected to this promise is the cup of, of sanctification. 
That cup of sanctification stands for our salvation. By the way, this is where God says, I will bring you out. By the way, you could never bring yourself out. This was something that God alone can do without any help from us, okay? This is his work. It stands on its own. You can't help God to save you. He does that work by grace through faith. That's a good place for an amen. Then the second promise that's celebrated is the cup of deliverance. It's the cup of healing. Not only does God desire to take us out of Egypt, to take us out of sin, but he also wants to get Egypt out of us. This is where you no longer think like a slave, but you begin to live like a son, like a daughter. You begin to receive an identity from him. It's where he begins to heal you of all of the lies, of all of the wounds, of the things of the past. It's where you begin to focus on living in victory over sin, healing of the wounds of the past, and where you learn to walk in authority over the devil. Did you know you have authority of the devil over the devil? Did you know that he doesn't, he's not allowed to run roughshod over your life. He's not allowed. But God, as he heals us, we begin to see that I can submit to God, resist the devil. And he what? Flees from us. Man, I tell you, that's good news, man. I may go back and watch the message. Well, let's look, let's look at the, uh, the third and the fourth promises today. Let's look at these other promises that God makes. This is what he promises to do in his people if they will gather around the lamb. Listen, these promises will happen for you if your life is focused on Jesus. When your life is focused on Jesus, you will see these promises take place in your life. The the third cup today and the third promise is the cup of redemption. It's the cup of redemption. We use the word empowerment. Exodus 6, 6 says, I will, notice what it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. He says, I will redeem you. Now, redeem is a word that most people don't use unless you're an extreme, you know, couponer, okay? You're a couponer? Okay, good. Okay, you understand what it is to redeem a, a coupon, okay? You, that's a, you're the only ones who probably use that word, okay? But the idea of redemption It carries, I want to define it for you so you understand what God is saying. He's saying, I am going to buy you back to free you from what distresses or harms you, to change for the better, to restore, to renew. One of my favorite shows to watch is American Pickers. I love that guy, those guys, man. Frank, little Frank, the guy's always looking for some used up oil can. 
some used up oil can that he can just fix up and clean up a little bit and he's going to sell it for a profit. Same thing. Those guys go and find these dusty uh, treasures. You know, they find cars that have been buried and, you know, and they're looking at them and they see something that other people don't see. They see something that other people do not see. They say, what? There's something valuable in there that can be redeemed. It can be restored. If we can only get it back to its original intent. If we can only get it back to what it was originally intended for, boy, the value of that one item is going to skyrocket. I want to tell you this is the picture of the cup of redemption. This is the picture where you feel like maybe, maybe your life, you feel like, man, I'm stuck. Man, I'm so broke. I'm so broken. I want to tell you what God sees. God sees a treasure. And when he comes to us and gives us the promise of redemption, he is saying, I am going to restore you to your, to my original intent for your life. I am going to restore you no matter what you've been through, no matter what you face. No matter the loss or the hurt that you've been carrying, God says, I am going to restore you to my original intent for your life. That's the promise. But, you know, many people never drink of this cup. They never step into this promise. They never step into it. Well, you know, they just look at their life and they're just evaluating everything by what they see. You know, and I, I, I actually believe that the reason why they never really enter into this third area where God begins to restore them to their original purpose is actually found in the promise. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I love this. I actually believe the reason why people just never step into it fully is all about how God delivers. The first reason why I I think people really don't allow themselves to be restored by God to original intent is really a negative perception. It's this negative perception of themselves, right? And, and how did that come? That could have come through, you know, some disappointment in life. It could, have been, it could be some, something that happened to you, but you have this negative perception that I'm broken. You, you feel inferior. By the way, inferior is the opposite of superior. We don't understand that we're called to be overcomers in the kingdom, that we're more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have this negative perception. I heard about this guy, you know, who was, who was walking through a mall and, uh, uh, you know, he, he was always drawn to this pet shop, but this pet shop, he, he went into it and, uh, he was looking around. He always loved to look at the animals, but there was this, there was this bird in the back of this pet shop. And this bird in the back of the pet shop, he, you know, he, 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 he looked, this bird looks at the man and says, hey, come over here. The guy's looking around, is that bird talking to me? 
bird says, hey, come over here. He's like, okay. And he walks over to the bird. And the bird looks at him and says, you are the ugliest son of a gun I've ever seen. <laughs> and the guy is so offended. He's like, I'm a customer here. I'm going to tell the manager. And he goes and tells the manager, this bird said I was the ugliest man I have ever, he's ever seen. And the manager goes over to the bird and says, why are you treating my customers? This way, plucks some feathers and hits the bird. <laughs> the guy walks out of the store. About a month later, he's walking through the same mall. He peers in. That pet shop looks in the back, and that bird standing back there, and that bird catches his eye and sees him and says, Hey! Come here! So let's see what this bird has to say. Walks over to the bird. The bird looks at him and says, You know. Can I tell you, some of us have a devil bird in our life. Matter of fact, the scriptures describe demonic activity as the birds of the air. And what we do, as soon as God starts to save us, as soon as God starts to heal us, as soon as we think there might be an opportunity to step into what, what God has for us, we got a devil bird chirping at us. And most of the time, it's a negative perception of ourself. And that bird is always saying, you know what you did. You know why you're in this condition. You know, and I want to tell you, that's not God's perception of you. You are not saved because of you. He sees you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He sees you and says, I assign the value to your life when I bankrupted heaven and gave my son to pay the price to actually save you and bring you out of Egypt. He said, I assign the value to your life. And so what do we have to do? We have to stop agreeing with those negative perceptions, those Voices that shout at us and say, you're worth nothing. You'll never be anything. You'll never step into God's plan. You went too far. You did too much. I got news for you. This is what this promise says. He says, with an outstretched arm. Psalm 18 says uh, something really wonderful. Verse 35, NIV says this. Your help has made me great. Your help has made me great. Now, in, in English, that's kind of a, a, a part of the word. Help is, help is right. It is right, but there's more to it. In Hebrew, uh, it also uh, denotes uh, gentleness, and it also denotes this. Humility. So it says, 
your humility. What is one of the ideas behind humility? Humility is this. I get low. And it says this. You got low to help me. You reached down when I thought nothing of myself. And you redeemed me. You got low when I was stuck in the miry clay. Come on. When I was stuck, when I was broken, when I couldn't help myself, when there was no way for me to step into my calling, I felt like Moses wandering on the backside of a desert for 40 years. And God comes in a mighty act of redemption and says, I'm about to use you in a powerful way. What sometimes our negative perceptions don't think God would ever get down that low, get into our brokenness. I want to tell you, Psalm 18 says, He gets low. And what's he, what happens when he gets low? He makes you great. That has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with him, and he will get low. So I don't. I mean, if you're here today and you've got a, a wrong perception of who you are, I've got good news. There's a God who will get low in promise and says, with an outstretched arm. With an outstretched arm, I'm reaching low. I'm coming right where you are. It's so good. Why would he do that? Because Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. That's what Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That word, that, that word masterpiece is in the Greek poema. It means that you are God's creative expression in the earth. You're God's creative expression in the earth. And if you would allow him to show his humility in your life, he would reach down and make you great. Great for his kingdom's sake, not for our sake, for his sake, to make his name great. So a negative perception will, will keep us from this. And second, second, many people have had this demonic diversion. Demonic diversion. How do I know it's demonic diversion? Because he says, I will, he goes, I'm going to redeem them with an outstretched arm. I'm getting low right to where they are. So I have to, to change this perception, this inferiority, but also mighty acts of judgment. If you're unaware of, of good Bible theology, you don't know that that judgment isn't aimed at you. That judgment is not aimed at you. Listen to me, church. When he redeems you with a mighty act of judgment, his judgment is aimed at your enemy. His judgment is aimed at Satan. But honestly, who can say Satan has at times diverted us from God's plan? And we followed a path. We, you may have been a willing participant. I mean, look at, look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul exp experienced a demonic diversion. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 said, We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan, notice this word, prevented us. 
He said, I tried again and again, and it wasn't God stopping me. It was Satan. And this word prevented, it means this. It means to cut a ditch in the road. It literally means to cut in a diversion. That means you're going to have to go the long way. You're going to have to go a different way. It's a demonic stall tactic. Now, if somebody asks me, um, hey, from right here in Inverness, if, uh, if I want to go to Tampa, can I go through Orlando to get to Tampa? Well, sure you can. Sure you can. Now, I wouldn't go that way. Why? Because we're going to spend, you know, a couple hours driving in the wrong direction. But you can get there. You can get back there if you'll just make a turn and start heading back in the right direction. And I want to tell you today, even if you've experienced demonic diversion in your life, could have been a year, five years, 10 years, I've got good news. There's grace to turn today because God says, I am stooping down and I'm declaring judgment over Satan's activity in your life. And I am going to bring you into your destiny. Let me say it to another way. I will help you to arrive at my intended destination. Hey, don't, 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 don't judge people because they're going the long way. Anybody go the long way before? I've been the long way. Come on. But when you get there, you're like, oh, I'm glad there's a God of redemption who declares judgment on the enemy who is trying to prevent me from God's call on my life. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I'm telling you, God will turn it around. And I, I, I got something so good to tell you. You say, well, I was running down that road five, ten years, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if God will use me. I feel like, you know, you know I just lost out. You know, I've, I've always heard the, Bibles, the Bible verse. If you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, that's not a Bible verse. <laughs> Hello? You think it is? Goes right along with your, you know, Sunday fried chicken and everything else you learned from the South, too. If you don't use it, you lose it. Now, that's just not, that's not a Bible verse. Let me give you what the scripture says about you and God's original intent for you. Romans chapter 11, this is the message version. It says, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Never canceled. <laughs> Never rescinded. Let me give it to you. In the, for all of you Bible scholars, you know it in the King James. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable and without repentance. Amen. Oh, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God never gave up on his call for your life? And his promise is, I'll redeem you. I'll restore you to original intent.
well, how do, we, how do we drink of this cup? How do we enter into this promise? Well, let me give you just a couple of things. These are very practical. First thing is you need to discover what you were made for. You need to discover your gift. You got to discover it. And Romans 12, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. You have something from God. This word uh, for gift is the word charis, okay? Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a powerful word. It's, uh, it's also where we get the word grace from. Uh, you might also know uh, the word charismatic, okay? You've heard that, which has been totally perverted by the devil, like people hear the word charismatic and they're like, <gasps> uh, hello, it's a Bible word. Charismatic means grace gifted. That's what it means, grace gifted. And I'm just going to let you know, I don't care what your background is. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you're charismatic. So we have to discover that grace gift that's in us and do what 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, live in love and eagerly desire the Spirit to manifest the gifts, His gifts that are in our life, that will operate in our life for the good of all. We eagerly desire them. Now listen, you have to discover this because God put it in you a long time ago. Psalm 139, 13 and 14, this is the declaration of the psalmist said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, do you see that word? Workmanship, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Well, what is that workmanship in, in Ephesians? It is that part of you that has been crafted to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. He is saying, listen, I have gifted you for something, but you need to discover that gift. It needs to be uncovered to you because many people have those negative per perceptions, but God says, in my humility, I'm going to lift you out of that perception. I'm going to get you out of the diversion that you've been in, and I'm going to take you on this path of discovery. Colossians 1.16 says, listen to this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. You were created for God for a purpose. Created for God for a purpose. So we can't just simply say, you know, I'm, you know now I'm going to heaven and I'm just going to live whatever way. No, you're created for him. So you have to discover that. Well, how do we, how do, we do that here? I'm going to give you a very practical thing. If you have never been through our foundations course and you still don't know what your gifts are, you need to get in second service in foundations and take all eight courses. One of them is dedicated to, to helping you figure out the way that God has wired you in your personality, the way that he has gifted you uh, uh, by the Spirit, and the passion and the people that he has put in your heart. We've helped you put them all together so you can begin to see what your gifts are and how to develop them. We say it this way in that class, your destiny is discovered in your design. Psalm 139, he puts you together 
in your mother's womb. And there's something to be uncovered that he put there long ago before we were ever even born. Second thing you need to do is you need to develop that gift. You need to develop that gift. Now, Ephesians 4 is probably some of the greatest passages about how to develop the gift. And we talked about this a few a few weeks ago about how necessary it is to get connected to a gift. But Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That means we have been anointed, we have been gifted something from God, verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that God gave apostles, prophets, Uh, pastors, evangelists, and teachers to do all the works of the ministry while everyone else just simply watches while they do it. That is not what we are called to do. We are called to lift you into your ministry. Not You don't exist to lift our ministry. That is not why you exist. You exist to be lifted into God's calling for your life. So you discover it and you develop it by connecting to the ministries that are going on in the church. You connect to starting point. You connect to foundations. You connect with life groups. You connect in daily prayer. And then all of these things that we're doing are all about equipping, all about activating you, all about getting you prepared for your calling, which is the third idea behind this is you got to use your gift, which actually leads us to the fourth promise. And the fourth promise is very simply this. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. This is where your relationship with God goes public. This is where your relationship with God goes public. Listen, your purpose is to serve God by serving others. Write this down. A private faith in Jesus leads to an unlived life. A private faith in Jesus leads to an unlived life. Your faith in Jesus was never meant to be private. It was always meant to go public. He says, then I will be your God and you will be my people. The, uh, the, the, the statement, then God is declaring, and others will know that you're my people. They'll know because I'm at work in your life. And we know that the plan of the enemy is to absolutely stop this plan of us taking our relationship with God public. And we know that the thief in John 10.10 comes is to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. So let me give you, let me give you some things so that you know that you, you, you've got to just overcome some things and just go public with your faith. First, you, you know, a lot of people don't go public because they let their past cripple them. They let their past cripple them. And here's, here's what we think. We think, 
man, uh, you know, Jesus did a work in my life, but all these people from Citrus County, they know who I really am. They know all the stuff I did. I mean, here we are in this little place and everybody knows everybody, right? And so what are, what are they going to say when I'm the one sharing Jesus, when I'm the one inviting, when I'm, let me just tell you what you're allowing uh, the enemy to do is to cripple you in your past when God has given you a brand new future. And we cannot allow our past to cripple us. Psalm 38, this is the way people feel. Verse 4 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down, verse 6, and brought low. Listen, this is the way people feel when they live under the weight of the knowledge of what they used to do instead of the knowledge of what Jesus has done. People don't go public because they're, they let the past cripple us. And, and then secondly, people don't go public because we let our culture define us. And church, this is not the hour where we are to let our culture define us. We are called by God to create the culture of the kingdom on earth and have that influence darkness. I'm just going to let you know, Jesus said you're the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. You are meant to go public with your faith. You are meant to be out there saying, listen, uh, you listen, I'm not who I used to be because of Jesus. And I'm not going to let culture define me because there's all of this pressure to fall into this mold and to live, you know, they try to pervert the scriptures to silence you. That's what culture will do. They'll try to use scriptures against you. You, You're trying to encourage somebody to live a life separated to God and they'll try to quote, you know, Jesus. You know, the Bible says, judge not. I love to just answer them. I'm like, I'm so glad you're quoting the book of truth. Oh, you're in trouble now. Because if you accept that statement of truth, you need to accept this statement as truth. All of us are separated from God by our sin, and our only hope is Jesus. Here's my scripture to you. Repent and believe, and he will make all things new. Come on, don't try to use scripture. If you, you want to use scripture, come on. We're going to get into this book. We're going to not let culture define us. We're not going to let the approval of men overwhelm us and keep us from living out loud the love of God. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I, am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, these two things, they don't work together. You can't live in a man-pleasing spirit. I live to please God, and I love people, and I, and I do it in a spirit of gentleness, not in a spirit of Twitter gotcha. I'm not going to subtweet you for all our kids. I'm not going to at you. That's not, that's, not, that's not how we do it. We don't let the culture define us. And then lastly, another reason why people never go public is because they try to do it alone. I pray God cancels this lie in us in 2021. 
the lie of our culture and everything we face with the pandemic this last year says this. You have to do everything alone, isolated. And when people try to live this life that God has for us uh, alone, it doesn't work because we're better together. We're meant to be together. We're meant to encourage one another. We're meant to strengthen one another. We're meant to share in those grace gifts that there's something in me that you need and there's something in you that I need. And when we connect, we're stronger and better together. Ecclesiastes says there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, and his eyes were not content with his wealth. What's this saying? You can't do it alone. It's never ending. You're trying to do it alone? You can't do it alone. How do we drink of this cup of praise? I'm going to just walk you right through this. He says, I will take you as my own people, and I'll be your God. It begins with a calling. You have to know that you're called. First, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and then called us to his holy work, to this holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. When you're called, here's what begins to erupt from your heart. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. When you start to begin to actually drink of this cup of praise, this fourth cup, which is called the cup of praise, the cup of Hallel, the cup where you legitimately begin to live in your calling as a praise to God, you begin to say, I want to make a difference. Pastor Chris Hodges from a great church in Birmingham, Alabama, he says this, people lose their way when they lose their why. If you have never looked out on the landscape of a neighborhood or a school or a region and saw those who were, who were downtrodden, those who had been beat down by the devil, those who are, who are addicted and broken, who do not know the hope of Christ, then you do not know yet the why behind our calling. But when you know the why, when you know the why, it will keep you going. It will keep you moving forward. When you know the why, you'll say, I'm called and I want to make a difference. Second, it begins with a calling, but it stands on a cause. Acts 20, 24 says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Listen, it starts with saying, I want to make a difference. And then the next statement is this, doing something that really makes a difference. We don't want to just be busy. We want to be doing something that makes an eternal impact on this place. We want to know that what I have done, what I have said, what I've labored for in this life isn't to just, you know, have a career and then die. No, I want to leave an eternal legacy. I want to help fill heaven. I want to, I want to actually make a difference doing something that makes a difference. Let me tell you what makes a difference. Living the love of God and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in every sphere of influence God has given to you. Make a difference in people and in heaven. You got to do something that makes a difference. And the third thing that you need to know about how you really drink of this is 
This promise, in this promise, it spreads from me to we. He doesn't say, and you will be my person. He says, and you will be my people. We start to say, all right, I'm called. Now I'm going to stand on the cause of the gospel. And then third, it spreads from me to we. Why? Because Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. And because uh, they have a good return for their label, labor. Let me, let me just make these three statements to you all together. This is what we need to say in 2021. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. Those three are how you begin to drink of this cup of praise. This, this final cup. This final cup. This cup of hallelujah. The finishing of the work. The completion of the restoration and the launching of the people of God. Now, let me give you this one final thought and I'm going to close. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... It was a Passover meal. It was a Passover meal. And in Matthew 26 through 29, at the very end, he says to them, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. Then he says this powerful statement, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, this is so good. Jesus himself will drink the final cup with me and you. Revelation 19, 19 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's waiting to drink that final cup of Passover, the final work. You know why? Because when we are at that table, the work is completed. It is the time of praise where we will be forever united with Christ because he did what? He took us out of Egypt. He got Egypt out of us. He restored us to our original intent, and then our lives begin to boldly declare, you are our God, and we are your people.